For our scripture reading today, I would invite you to stand in body or in spirit as you feel led for the reading of the gospel. Our scripture reading today comes from the gospel according to Luke. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Connor. Thank you, choir. Thank you for being here today, and I'm thankful to have my grandparents, Guy and Jeannie Huffman, here with me today. It's fitting that I'm preaching on humility, uh, that you would be here, because I've never known two more humble people in my life. We are continuing this week in our series on the parables. Last week, we spent some time in the old familiar stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, And the sons, remember, the one who was lost in the distant country and the one who was lost at home. And all of these were a way for Jesus to answer his accusers. Do you remember what the accusation they'd made against him was? Do you remember? You can say it. This man receives sinners and he even eats with them. And Jesus was quick to tell them, you're right, absolutely I do. And friends, I hope I can be accused of the same thing. I have the same hopes and dreams for you that somebody might accuse you of that one day. We spoke briefly last week about stories, about parables. Parables are interesting because they're not so easily defined, and maybe that's how they're supposed to be. Stories and parables work on us in different ways, and that's the beauty of it. My interpretation of a parable might sound... To some of you, like a little bit of a stretch sometimes or a shot in the dark, but also vice versa. Or it might just hit the mark, or it might just be what you needed to hear in that moment. And that's why I love parables. Jesus is an expert storyteller. He's very good at it. And I want to ask you, do you know why Jesus speaks in parables? We didn't talk about this last week. Do you know why? The disciples ask him that question, and in Luke chapter 8, he gives an answer. Listen to this. This is is why Jesus speaks in parables. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Jesus is interpreting a passage from Isaiah, a passage that describes people who refuse to hear or see or understand and continue to live according to their will and not the divine will. So why speak in stories? Why speak in parables? Why this deep truth in simple stories? 
to confirm that those who can't see or hear or discern choose not to, especially when the message is laid out so clearly. It's kind of a last-ditch effort to make a message so simple for the listener to confirm whose will one is after. And it kind of reminds me, my favorite book in the world is C.S. Lewis' The Great Divorce. And it's a modern parable about a busload of folks from hell who go to heaven for a day. And guess what? None of them like it. (laughs) Actually, nine of the ten passengers decide they want to head back to hell because hell is a place where each person can live according to what they want, to their will. And they don't like heaven because you have to live according to the will of someone else. This busload of folks would just rather stick with what they know. Now, a friendly reminder to you all, humans, human beings, us, we actively think and talk and breathe in the language of storytelling, of parables. We can't help it. Stories help us take cold facts and figures and data and make better sense of it all. It gives it meaning. Cassandra Clare says that if you believe only in facts and forget stories, your brain will live, but your heart will die. And Luke 18, Jesus is working on the heart. He's telling story after story, and he continues to do so. This is getting near the end of Luke, so he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he continues to tell parable after parable. And lucky for us, in these later parables, Luke offers a little bit more commentary. He kind of gives us the answers before the parable is even given. Just look at the beginning of chapter 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He gave us the answer. Thanks a lot, Luke. Luke begins chapter 18 by telling the story, I wonder if you remember this, of the persistent widow. A widow comes to a judge who's not really righteous or respectful in any particular way, and she says, Judge, I want justice. My rights are being violated, and I need protection under the law. But the judge says, No, no thanks. That is, until the widow keeps coming day after day after day after day. So the judge gives her justice, but only because she bothered him consistently. And the moral of that parable seems to be something to the effect of, if a cruel judge gives way to the constant and unshakable pressure of this widow, how much more will God listen to the prayers of the saints? And right after, in our text for today, Luke begins with similar commentary. He kind of gives the answer before the parable. Listen to this. He tells this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Eugene Peterson says that these folks were the kind of folks who looked down their noses at the common people. And so he tells us that two men went into a temple, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Now, if you don't already know, Pharisees are the primary foil for Jesus in the gospel Pharisees were a lay association of religious people. They weren't clergy, but they were a group who saw themselves as experts in the law. They promoted the laws. They they were interested in ritual purity and tithing and afterlife and judgment. And at times, the gospel writers share with us that the Pharisees actually have some good points, but they don't always put their money where their mouth is. (laughs) And Jesus, at many points in the gospels, calls them money-hungry, complacent, and ineffective in bringing about real change, accusations which have never been leveled against religious people before. (laughs) Meanwhile, 
The tax collectors were Jews working for Rome, the occupiers. They would do the work of the Roman Empire and sometimes keep a little extra for themselves. The Gospels and early rabbinic literature equate tax collectors with, listen to this, robbers. They would work for the enemy and take from their own people. And these two men go into the temple, a Pharisee and a tax collector. One, a keeper of the law, convinced that his sacred living, specifically his understanding of sacred living, is the sure way to God. And the other, a tax collector, one who is not respected nor cared for by his culture and his community, someone who works for the enemy, the foreign occupiers. So, a Pharisee and a tax collector walk into a temple. Sounds a little bit like a joke, right, Jesse? It sounds, I mean, if you really think about it, this, I wonder if that's how they hear it. Like it might be something like a rabbi and a priest and a minister walk into a bar, the bartender looks at him and says, what is this, a joke? It's not good. It's not a good joke. <laughs> 8.30 laughed harder at that, which, which never happens. A Pharisee and a tax collector walk into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee sits up near the front, no offense, in view of all around and bows and prays like this, God, thank you that I am not like them. The extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The message paraphrase goes like this, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, crooks, adulterers, or heaven forbid, this tax guy. What a prayer. Thank you that I am not like them. William Barclay says, the Pharisee didn't really go to pray. He went to inform God how good he was. Meanwhile, the tax man who walks in behind the Pharisee and walks in slowly, he's far away. He's put himself in the back row, slumped in the shadows, his face in his hands, not daring to look up and likely not knowing how to pray, but he prays anyway, and his prayer is simple. God, give me mercy. Forgive me, for I am a sinner. The Greek article there is actually the, so what it's saying is, forgive me, God, I am the sinner. And what does Jesus say? I tell you, this man went to his house justified, not the other he walked home justified. Justified, what does that mean? It's a legal term. It means to be made righteous. In this case, to be made right with God. We see the same word a few chapters before in Luke when the Pharisees are ridiculing Jesus and he says to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Apparently, the Pharisee believes so strongly that the laws that he follows, the words that he says, the money that he gives, the people that he looks after, all of it makes him righteous before God. Meanwhile, the tax collector knows he has done wrong and when facing God can only ask for mercy. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, this man, this tax guy, the guy sitting in the back. This man went down to his house, having been made righteous by God. For anyone who exalt, exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's short. It's simple. It's to the point. 
One who is exalting himself will be made low, and the one who is low will be exalted. Humility seems to be the goal of this passage, humble prayer. And you can't pray when you're proud, nor can you pray when you're in the business of despising them or another. True prayer has to come from a place of humility. But friends, if I'm honest with you, this, the issue in this parable seems a little bit more like it has to do with a difference in just regular self-awareness. It seems to me like the Pharisee may lack an actual or a deeper awareness of who he is. And it seems to me like the tax collector carries a whole heap of self-awareness. He knows who he is. But maybe that's what humility is. I mean, I've always heard about humility as the opposite of pride, as a lowering of oneself, as not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself what? Less. And maybe it is all those things, but what I pick up from Jesus' parable is that perhaps at its simplest, humility is an honest self-awareness. 18th century theologian William Law has this to say about humility, and I want you to hear this. This is great. A humble state of soul is the very state of religion because humility is the life and soul of piety, the foundation and support of every virtue and good work and the best guard and security of all holy affections. We may as well think to see with eyes or live without breath as to live in the spirit of religion without the spirit of humility. There you have it. Humility is the goal, the foundation, the beginning, the end of virtue and religion. Good luck trying to follow God without a little humility. But, and I want you to hear this, this is what Williams Law says next. But as all virtue is founded in truth, so humility is founded in a true and just sense of our weakness, of our misery, of our sin. Many people live in pride and yet never suspect themselves to be governed by pride because they know how much they dislike proud people. <laughs> they know how mightily they are pleased with humility and modesty wherever they find them. The fuller of pride anyone is himself, the more impatient will he be at the smallest instances of it in other people. Ooh, that hits me a little close to home. The opposite of humility is pride, and you can tell who is operating by a lack of humility by the amount of impatience he or she shows whenever they see it in another. And like Law says, most people don't know it. They aren't aware. They have no idea. They haven't done the deep work and the contemplation and prayer that leads one to an accurate understanding of the self, to a true and just sense of our own weakness. And that's what Luke tells us in this parable the one who was so acutely aware of his own unrighteousness was made righteous. And I don't know how you can go to God in humble prayer if you don't know who you are, or at least aren't on a journey of beginning to gain a little bit of self-awareness. Otherwise, I fear we might just thank God that we are not like them. There was a recent article by the Greater Good Research out of Berkeley, California, a number of studies were conducted on humility. I find this very interesting. In one study, participants indicated their political affiliation and then filled out a survey measuring their humility, specifically around hot-button political topics and socio-political situations and the knowledge they had or did not have about those subjects. And after, they had the same group of people report how warmly they felt 
toward Republicans and Democrats and people of various religions, among other identifiers. All of this just trying to find a measure for humility. And wouldn't you know it, those who seemed to indicate greater humility reported feeling warmer toward those who were politically or religiously different from themselves, regardless of politics or religion. Why? One of the researchers said that humble people are more likely to think that an opponent could know something they don't know or have experienced something they haven't experienced. They have a better awareness of their own knowledge or lack of understanding, but people with less humility would consider people who disagree with them to be suspect, to be unintelligent, or morally deficient. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of a particular unself-aware Pharisee who thanked God one day that he wasn't like them. (laughs) Friends, when I look at our current political divide, our country, our world, the anger and the denigrating and the defensiveness and the labeling and the name-calling and the talking points, even within the church universal and even in the United Methodist Church, it is all evidence to me that we have lost and continue to lack self-awareness and we are deeply lacking in humility which leads to a larger problem. Arthur Brooks wrote a book called Love Your Enemies, and in it he says this, we have a contempt problem right now. If you listen to how people talk to each other in political life today, you notice it is with pure contempt. When somebody around you treats you with contempt, you never quite forget it. So if we want to solve the problem of polarization, we have to solve the problem of contempt. Remember, I don't know if you remember this, how Luke began the telling of our parable today. The parable was told to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with what? Contempt. And the more I hear of the contempt floating around right now, the more I realize that we are indeed short on self-awareness, which communicates to me that we are very short on humility, even in the church. Martin Luther King said, you can have no influence over those for whom you have underlying contempt. And friends, when contempt becomes a part of our religion, our piety, our ritual, our spirituality, our Sunday mornings, what good are we anymore? According to Jesus, circumventing contempt starts at humility. For humility does not denigrate other people. It does not get defensive. Humility does not limit or cease engagement of the other. Humility does not put up a wall between you and me. Humility doesn't shut down conversation with an easy insult or a simple label. We desperately need to find the path back to humility. And friends, I believe that the path to humility begins with a simple self-awareness of my own weakness, and a simple prayer. God, give me mercy. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. I mean, stop for a second. Can you imagine if every news channel in the world or every political conversation on television or even every big Thanksgiving family meal that might get a little tense, or conversations between anyone who disagree with each other, imagine if they all began with this. Hey, before we start... I just want to let everybody know I'm broken, I'm selfish, I'm sinful, and I'm not all that I should be. I mean, imagine if we approach people in the street, at church, at the restaurant, at home, at work, 
with a simple self-awareness that we have sinned against God and against each other and we desperately need forgiveness and we need mercy and we need grace. Benjamin Franklin told this story about a visit he made as a young man to see a Puritan preacher named Cotton Mather. And he said, Cotton was showing me out of the house and there was a very low beam near the doorway. And of course, I was still talking when Mather began shouting, Stoop! Stoop! Or in modern language, Duck! (laughs) I didn't understand what he meant and I immediately banged my head on the beam. You're young, Cotton said to me and have the world before you. Stoop as you go, and you will avoid a lot of bumps. Franklin says, that advice was useful to me. I have avoided many misfortunes by not carrying my head too high. (laughs) Friends, our world needs less contempt. We need more self-awareness. God knows we need much more humility. Our world needs more people willing to carry their heads a little lower. We need more listeners and less hotheads. We need less religious people seeking virtue only and more Jesus followers seeking to serve their neighbor. But in order to get a little bit closer to the kingdom, I need us all to begin our prayers with the following. God, give me mercy, for I am a sinner. I tell you the truth. This one went down to his house having been made righteous With God, for anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 